Welcome to Q&A, the podcast series of conversations recorded with artists in the Cadditch and Morrissey Galleries at St. Ambrose University. Dawn Wolford specializes in creating artwork with handmade paper. She recycles materials such as old cotton clothing and jute doormats, money, and dead plants from her yard to create cast paper sculptures and collages. We spoke with Dawn last February about her show in the Morrissey Gallery titled Pushing Paper. Dawn is the director of QC Arts in Moline. Okay, welcome back. We are joined today in the Morrissey Gallery by Don Wolford. So I'll give Don a round of applause for taking part in this Q&A. Thank you. Don's show has been up for the last uh, four weeks and comes down at the end of this week. The work is comprised of cast paper objects. So as always, these Q&As are open to questions and they're better if people ask questions. So just ask away. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. Just ask a question if it comes to you, okay? I guess I would start by just asking a general question about the, the casting. There's a variety of forms and a variety of scales for these objects, and I'm just kind of curious about how, how, you, how you make this work. For the, for the casting, most of the things are, are objects that I find. Um, like with the discs, those are actually um, fancy cake plates, and I always refer to my grandmothers because they used to serve coffee and tea on a regular basis, and they would have these fancy glass plates. And I discovered that the bottoms of them have these wonderful patterns on them. So they're perfect for um, casting. And then what I do is, for those kinds of things, I recycle cotton. So it's usually denim jeans or old um, cotton clothing that I turn into paper pulp. I use a a beater like uh, you have here at St. Ambrose. And I make the pulp, and then I actually use the sheet formation technique to cast because it's a much stronger way of making it. So you're you're casting, um, you're making sheets of paper, and then putting it on the form, and then pressing and mm. doing building up layers, and then you use a sponge to take out as much water as you can, and then I use towels to soak up even more water, and all the time I'm pressing and pressing so that the the fibers in the the cotton are bonding together, hmm. and then when it completely dries, I paint them, and I paint them with acrylic just to give it a hard surface surface, and then I paint them with oil pastels. Hmm. But then there are other things that I, I either leave in more of a raw state. I don't want them to be painted, mm-hmm. and so then I'm really a little more selective about my fiber because I want that color to show, that natural color. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So like with the beehive pieces, um, I made made the pulp out of actually a recycled doormat that was made out of sisal. I just chopped it up, cooked it. You have to cook it to get the lignin out of it. And then I pulped that. Hmm. And um, that's one of those real scratchy doormat things that, yeah, okay. Yeah. Sisal, huh? Sisal. So there's a big variety of plant fibers that you can use to make paper out of, and that one works really well. Um, I also use um, more common plants like daylilies and hostas, you know, depending on what um, I want it to look like in the end. In terms of, you throw that into the mix, into the, into the beater. You throw those plants into the beater. Yeah, you huh. have to pre-cook those first hmm. to get out the stuff that makes it a plant. You want to cook that stuff out of it. With cotton, it's already been treated. Mm-hmm. So 
you don't have to cook it. So when you say you use plants like a daylilies, how many are we talking about? Like a basket of them? Like you throw some into the mix, or it's like if it's yeah. Would, would one object be made entirely of lilies? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that would be how many plants? You need about a pound of dry material hmm. to do. Uh, you can do quite a lot with it. I mean, one pound of denim will make a lot of paper. Hmm. But with plants, because they're so dry and you have to cook them down, you end up with even less fiber in the end. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, like, you know, a bag, a pretty large bag or a bushel, you know, a, it's a lot. So you just you kind of keep all that stuff as you've, you've used the lilies for the flowers. You've had the flowers around or the plants. You've grown the plants and you just harvest it all from your yard or, or are you getting yeah. it from somewhere? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or people will save it for me. Um, I've gotten banana tree. They're not technically trees from mm -hmm. the botanical center, mm -hmm. and cut those up and. Uh, well, that's a lot of mass them. there, so yeah. they they grow rapidly and just kind of collapse by the end of the year. Right, right and right. then they're they're done. So. With the day lily, is it the bloom or the the leaf or both? It's the leaf. The leaf. It has the most fiber. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the same with uh, with the banana. Yeah, it's, it's actually leaf, it's the, it's not the leaf. I thought the leaves were going to be really fibrous, and so I I experimented because I'd never done it before, and the leaves made a really weak paper, that just kind of fell apart. Mm. So then I tried the stalks, and you think of a banana, you call it a banana tree, but it's really more like a leek mm -hmm. or a. Um, I mean, it's really interesting because you could actually unroll it like. Like a cigar, if you've ever seen a cigar, you, they can unroll these leaves, and they're just wound up, wound up very tightly. Yeah. And those were where the real fiber was. Hmm. And it, yeah, and I had to, I had to cut it with a machete because it was really, <laughs> really tough. And then soak it, and then cook it. It was a lot of work, but it made a really good paper. Hmm. The other thing with plant fibers is they shrink a lot more than cotton. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you don't want whatever you're making to shrink, like you want it to be the size that it you think it's going to be. Right. Other times you can get really cool effects by having it shrink. Mm. Um, and the, the bread pieces down there, mm -hmm. that's kind of, it, I call it serendipity because mm. when I was originally making that, I wanted three flat sheets. I was going to do something completely different. And for whatever reason, two of them shrunk mm. and warped while... It was drying. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at it and I thought, wow, this is cool. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. know. I could probably never repeat that. Yeah. And that's why I called it serendipity because it just, it just, that's how it dried. It just, right. it was shrinking and, and drying and, and one yet remained completely flat. <laughs> so. So in this case, you dry them flat. You just dry them in the open air. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Can we go back to sheets? Actually, you said you use a sheet formation technique. Just for the general audience. What, what are we talking about when you say that? You you have your pulp and you put it in a bath and you're saying you, you form it into a sheet using the typical paper making method? Yes. And you so, want to describe that a little bit? So it's like you kind of have like a, a picture frame that's covered with a screen and then you have another one that goes on top of it just very crudely. It's, it's a lot more refined than that but um, and then you're dipping you're dipping that into the vat of that has the, your, your paper pulp and mm -hmm water and you pull it up and then the water is running through the screen mm -hmm. and what you have left on the surface is called a water leaf but that will become 
a sheet of paper when it's dry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so for casting then, instead of the term is couching, mm -hmm. you would couch it onto a felt. Mm -hmm. And when you're making sheets of paper, then you put on, put down another felt and another, you continue till you have a stack of water leaves and then you press the water out. For big casting. Old, big old press. And yeah. Push it out gallons of water that's still in there. Yeah. Right. For casting, I'm couching it onto that object that I'm casting. I see. And so that I'm building up layers and then pressing it in. Like with the honeycomb one, you have to really press it in to get it into every little corner so mm -hmm. that you don't have voids or mm -hmm. bubbles or mm -hmm. space, you know, spaces. Sure. Is that, are all of the objects in here that are cast, are they all cast from found objects? Or like in the case of the honeycomb, did you build the honeycomb or was that a found thing? Or? I actually built that out of, I bought a cake from a bakery one time and the, the bottoms, the the plastic preformed cake uh, plates have different textures. Uh -huh. So I've used those a lot and I found one that had honeycomb uh -huh. and I loved it. So I ended up, I couldn't find them anymore. I went from bakery to bakery <laughs> looking for, <laughs> I'm not interested in your cakes. I just want to see your cake plates. And so finally I ordered them online hmm. and I had to cut them, cut them all out, glue them all together to get the shape and then cast it. Hmm. But I do sometimes make my own molds. Um, there's, you can cast just about anything. You can take hot glue mm. and draw with it mm. and then just keep building up your drawing and you can cast that. Mm -hmm. You can take linoleum blocks and carve them mm. or wood blocks like you use and cast those. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can make molds. I've done plaster molds. I've done faces of people. So you can do anything. But in, in each of those cases, you would have to then, after you cooch the, the water leaf onto the mold, you really have to basically by hand push into those crevices yeah. to really make that mold work. Huh? So that, that right. is a very time-intensive process, sounds like. Yeah, it is. A lot of little honeycomb sections there to, to work on, huh? Yeah. And you said there's multiple water leaves that go into the final cast, or is it just one? Like you said you push the one in. Do you put another one on top of it and yeah. layer it? I'll kind of push, I'll kind of tap it in. Mm -hmm. And then put on more and put on more. So there's there's five or six layers mm. easily. Mm. If you go too thin, you're going to end up with holes in it, mm -hmm. or it might just rip when you try to take it out of the mold. Mm -hmm. So I just build it up. Mm. Could you speak about your planning process, like when you're from from concept to actually making the mold and stuff? Do you like sketch out your honeycomb first, like what are your final product or? Yeah, I, I sketch, but I don't sketch a lot. I'm more of a person who I have a sketchbook filled with words. I'm more interested in um, ideas, and and I've, I work it through the process. Like, what do I need to do first? What, what do I need to do next? I don't really sketch out the final product, like how it's going to look so much. I mean, I had a vague idea of how large I wanted it and the shape. And then I did some research on honeycombs and found out, you know, things like that they're always um, even across the top. And, and that kind of helped, helped my thinking, too, and, and how they're built. I guess there are a number of opportunities in this process to create meaning in the objects. And I'm kind of curious, kind of following up on that, about how you balance those different opportunities. I mean, there's meaning in the type of plant or recycled matter that you use to make the paper. 
There's meaning in the forming of the the, 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 the mold. There's meaning in the, in the surface treatment of the final piece. Mm-hmm. You know, where do you put the most, or how do you balance those forces, I guess? You know, I'm thinking about money. I'm thinking about the money piece, or, I, yeah. you know, some of the pieces that allude to fashion or, 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 or textiles that we wear. Just, you know, there's a variety of different objects in here from more narrative-oriented pieces to very abstract pieces. And so I was curious yeah. about that, that side, of the, me- the meaning side of each object. Yeah, I, I feel like I really have two different ways of working, and one is more decorative, and then one is where I really am invested in the meaning of it. Mm. So, like, the money piece, I actually used recycled money, took shredded money, mm. and ground it up in the pulp. So then the whole piece... $1 bills or $100 bills? <laughs> I think they were... One dollar. I think there might be some five dollar bills in there too. I didn't shred the money, so. It's shredded money, recycled. You can buy it. Oh, you can internet. get shredded money. Yes. Yes. Interesting. I didn't shred my own money. That's <laughs> that's good material. That's a very tough material. It'd yeah. Be a great material for art art paper, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's linen so, and cotton mix, isn't it? I believe it's a mix of linen and cotton plus. I think they put some other weird stuff in there too, but. Huh. What yeah. was your experience working with the money? It's very stiff. Yeah. So m- the paper that I make, I start with a, a cotton, and then I add the money. I actually throw the money into the beater later because I didn't want it to be chopped up so fine you couldn't recognize mm. it. Oh, I see. I want you to be able to look at the pulp and see little bits of, you know, writing from the money. Yeah. So. Yeah, it comes in strips. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that I have to say about money. I mean, we all struggle with it. or mm-hmm. and, and so I've done several pieces. That's not the first one. But, um, you know, it lends itself to that idea mm-hmm. of, okay, it's made out of money, and then the ideas have to do with money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, just the whole idea of buying money after it's useful life cycle. I mean, money is weird. Money is an abstraction from start to finish, but now you're, you're purchasing beat up, uh, recycled money, so it's even added right. another layer to it, you know, and um, and then you're making, you're basically making new money, you're making new new objects that appear to be money, at least mm-hmm. in that piece, you know, and you're print, you, what did you do to print on those? Carved a linoleum block, oh. and then hand printed the, the figure in the middle, and then the, the words, I used the inkjet printer. I see, I see, and uh, what, what, how much does the pound of money cost? Actually, and I can't find it anymore. At the time I got it for $14, I got a great big bag of it. They were selling it as gift shred. Uh-huh. Like if you were going to give somebody a gift in a bag, and instead of putting you know, red shred, you could put money shred. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love the whole idea of uh, money and the cost of making a penny and the penny out in circulation. And I have a... Well, I have another... I have another, I have a book in progress that's the same kind of thing where each page is linked together with strips of money paper so that you open the book and it's, it's held together with the money. And that, that's called hanging on by a thread, which is another thing we say about money that, you know, you're just barely making it. And that one's called the pursuit of happiness too. And so the figure... I wanted him to look like he's he's holding that money bag and he's just really burdened down with it. He's he's bent over and he's like just you know it's struggling and 
you know, and, this, and it's all going in the same direction, and mm -hmm. that's intentional because it's like he's moving along, um, but he's sort of drudging, and then, and then all the quotes on there are things that we say about money, penny saved, a penny earned. And, <laughs> so, so how did you develop this this project? I mean, did you? You, you know you're going to make more work with paper. Did you discover the fact that you could buy this money? And, and you thought, oh, that would be a great piece. And then that started the whole ball, ball running? Or were you already interested in making something about money and you found the way to print with money? I think I discovered that I could buy currency first. And you're like, okay. And then it was, then it was like, I got all these ideas. I've got is, other... Is that other generally things. how it goes with, with the material? Yeah. The materials are starting the, the process and what can I do with this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll see something that inspires me because I've done other mixed media things. For this show, I wanted it to all be paper to kind of tie in with the curriculum here. But I've done other things with um, recycled objects, and it's it's that object that inspires me first. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, this is cool. What can I make out of it? Mm -hmm. And I go from there. So do you want to talk a, uh, a little more about the decorative objects as well? You said you had that other side of the process. Yeah, and I and it's really kind of divided in the way I hung it, too. The, the decorative things have a lot more color. Mm -hmm. I love color, but it seems like my most serious work is really dull. It, to, you know, mm -hmm. it doesn't have that eye candy appeal to it when you're looking at it from a distance. So um, it kind of gives me that, you know, both sides... I can do the color, I can do the pop, and I can do the, the serious work. And mm -hmm. for a while, I was really conflicted. Like, um, people like, I sell more of the colored stuff because it mm -hmm. appeals to people. And mm -hmm. it's like, well, is that selling out? Is that not being true to the, you know, the art studies and mm -hmm. the, you know, art for art's sake? And, mm -hmm. and then I, I just kind of came to the realization that it's okay to do both. Mm -hmm. So. Why do you think that is the case, that the, the work that you think is maybe more conceptual or more in the traditional sense of like the MFA program, art, you know, this is more art, why would that work be less colorful? I think it's just the, the themes that I'm working on. They just end up being yeah, that They way. just end up like, you know, um, like the Honeycomb series is, is kind of about the plight of bees and thinking about ecology and... Uh -huh. And the plant, you know, it's made out of plant matter, and so when you recycle plant matter, it's kind of a color of dead leaves. Yeah. And yeah. that's what you get. Right, right. You know? <laughs> it's a trap. It's, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's just how it is. How did that, how did that project come to be, the bee, the bee uh, project? Well, partly it was just, um, you know, it's something that had been on my mind, like what's happening to the bees, and, you know, is, is there, you know, what is happening? So I started doing research, and then I saw this honeycomb plate, mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, this is cool. Mm -hmm. And so how could I recreate something mm -hmm. bigger to sort of call attention to this issue? Mm -hmm. And that's just evolved from that. Hmm. I noticed a lot of the cast objects, I guess because of the process, tend to end up having a very organic shape, and uh, then you tend to pair them them in some very um, interesting ways and the honeycomb piece with the with the driftwood what, what's part of the thinking there are these um, collages of objects well with the driftwood one of the things I found out about bees is that they not only um, 
you know, we think of them as having their, these very nice even hives that when people farm bees, but in the wild, they will just attach their, start attaching their honeycombs to anything. Mm. Oh, so it could sure. be it could be an uneven shape, oh, like sure. a tree branch. Sure, sure. So I like the organic shape better Absolutely, than, than making it be very uniform and stagnant. So yeah, yeah, it really is like that big. Se- okay, I you know I didn't even, I, I'm glad you said that. I'm picking up on that now. Yeah, and some of the other pieces down at the far end there, I've been I've been spending some time with uh, surrounding the money piece. There's some interesting narratives in there as well. The uh, it's a tire track with a with a baseball. Yeah. Baseball in there. What's that? <laughs> you know, I you know, I walked by that you know for the last month or so. I've been walking by it and you know looking at it like what what is that? That's there's almost like a disturbing potential there. You know. <laughs> well, the other thing I've I've done with my work for many years is is kind of the play on words oh, and puns sure. and trying and kind of a humor. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to inject humor into the work. So my parents actually walk a lot, and they find all kinds of cool stuff on the side of the road, mm-hmm. and they'll bring it to me and say, what do you think of this? Oh, I can use that. <laughs> so I had this big chunk of, of tire rubber, and I cast it, mm. and I thought that looked good, and then I don't even know where the baseball came from. Mm. I picked it up. People give me stuff, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, this, it, just, it just worked with it, mm. and so I call that roadkill. Mm. So it's you know it's not what you typically think of when you think of roadkill, but it could be it yeah. got run over by a car. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh man, some kid ran out the road to get the baseball. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Okay, so then moving along to the vertical piece with the with the bowl shapes, that's a very unusual object. The the very vertical one there. With the oh. three three rows of bowl okay. shapes, is there any anything behind the grid pattern of the objects, or, or what, what's what's behind that piece? I'm well, not really, it. but it occurred to me when I was hanging the show that I have a lot of grids. Uh-huh. There's grids within grids. There's things hung in grids, and I think that kind of goes back to an early um, passion for weaving, hmm. and that keeps showing up. I have a piece down here that's. Uh, strips of paper woven with some found materials. So I've always kind yeah. of been interested in weaving things together and incorporating different textures. Uh-huh. So I kind of feel like that's where the grids come from. Huh. Is that just that early experience and and so like in that ca- in the case of that object, I mean that object's very um, suggestive of something. I'm not. It's a, it's a mystery to me what it is. I, I keep coming back to it and trying to place what that thing means to me, but the, the repetition of the forms and the and then the mold itself. I don't know what that, that bowl shape is, what that was originally, but it, the studs on it, you know. It's actually like a little decorative glass candy dish. Oh, it sure. It has those, those little... Those, the outside, the yeah. crystal. Yeah, yeah. And so in that case, you enjoyed the form, you cast it, and you're like, I need to make 50 of these. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it became kind of tedious. After, I'm like, why do I need so many? But <laughs> I just felt like it, it, some things have more impact when there's more of them. Yeah, yeah. So. And you just start building up the grid and building it up. and then. Yeah. Um, and in that case, the color, you say that's, that's painted color? That, yeah, that's acrylics. Acrylics over it. Yeah. yeah. The image of this, this object 
is it has a poetic quality to it, but I, I'm not quite sure what to make of it. You know, I mean, it, it's sort of it's like coppery yeah. and and I feel like belt buckle or or something along that line. But at the scale that it's at, it's uh, it's a it's an impressive piece. Thank you. Well, another thing that's kind of fun to do with paper making is to make it look like metal or uh, make it look like concrete. You can make it look like a lot. Of, you can make it look really heavy. Yeah, I've cast. I mean, that's part of what it is. Yeah, and painted them metallic and hung them on the wall, and you know, people are like. It, it makes people think because that's not supposed to be hanging on a wall. <laughs> that, that's got to weigh 50 pounds. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of fun to do that. I, anything I could do to, you know, they say the average person walks by a piece of art and spends three seconds. If you want to try to get people to spend longer than that. Yeah. So if you can make them think, whether it's like, wait, that that shouldn't be on the wall or, you know, anything you can do to get them to stop and spend a little bit more time with it and figure out what you're trying to say or what uh, you're trying to do, I think it's a good it's a good thing. I think, yeah, hearing you talk about it, I think that's part of it with that one is the, the density of it mm -hmm. as a paper object. It's, it's, um, there's a surprise to that flip there, you know. And in this case, this one, is that packing material, the cardboard that's woven? Is that, is yes. that like a cardboard packing material? I've seen that yeah, around. I, I thought, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Going back to uh, briefly, do you do um, uh, when you're pressing it? Do you go out in the public? Is there any subversive like uh, <laughs> where then you come back? So I'm just thinking about the like, manhole. Like, so yeah. certainly you could get a manhole at some point in time, but like, did you? Yeah, I was a little nervous. I've done several of them, but they don't touch them. And the weird thing is, looks disgusting. Yeah, well, people don't really look. People don't really look around. I mean, you can, um, you know, once you cover it and you press it, then it's still got the impression of a manhole cover. People don't really think, well, that shouldn't be. Like it shouldn't be that solid color. They just don't. I mean, I come back and they're there's. Yeah, I've cast brick walls before, which um, that's when I when I did that, it was in an apartment building and it was I felt like um, Tom Sawyer when he got all the little kids to paint the fence for him. I had all the kids in the neighborhood, and I'm like, here, take some of this, and just because I just used glops of pulp and packed it on the wall. And I had all these kids helping me. It was really fun. Huh. Huh. Do you have to coat it at all? Or do you just put it on straight and allow, like, the debris to come off onto the... I mean, like, do you have to, like, uh, Vaseline or... Oh, no. No. Just... As long as it's thick enough. The very first manhole cover I did, I was so upset because part, partly I didn't, I didn't put anything on the surface of the metal. And then the paper was really thin just not thick enough and when I started to lift it up the paper had kind of bonded with that the old paint and the rust it was a rusty manhole cover and it just it ripped off and I ended up having to scrape it all off scrub it with a brush start over and then that's where I learned that it has to be really thick because if the paper is bound itself to itself you know like it's supposed to the fibers are all intertwined you can lift up the edges and it'll it'll lift off. It won't um, 
want terror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that yeah. kind of uh, dependent on humidity and, and time of the year? So. Well, the dryness time. Yeah. yeah like when, if I go outside on a hot, just a hot summer day, it'll dry really fast. Um, one of the manhole covers I did, it rained. And I was really like, oh, God, it's going to be ruined. But because, and on that one, too, I put towels on the top and I stood on it. So I had my body weight instead of just the pressure of my hands. I had my whole body weight, so it was really compressed. It withstood the rain, and then the next day it dried out. And it took three or four days for it to completely dry. But it dried. And you can tell... When you touch the paper and it's cool, there's still water in it. Once you don't feel temperature, it's like room temperature, you know it's dry. Mm. Mm. Because if you start peeling it up when it's still wet, it'll warp, it may tear, all kinds of things. How did you get on this process? Um, Did you go to school, paper making, undergrad? Where did did Um, it come to be that you... Paper making is a fairly... Well, they're, you know, it's accessible and they're, people learn about paper making to a certain degree, but then in terms of a field of study, it's fairly specialized. And Yeah, I actually was almost ready to graduate with my BFA and went to an art conference hmm. and saw somebody demonstrate it and that was it. I was like, I love this, I gotta find out more. Hmm. Went back to my apartment, I was in college and started just researching and and then I, I liked it so much that I went then um, and I looked, looked to see what colleges taught it and Arizona State, there was I, literally the guy that wrote the book, a guy that wrote a book on paper making was teaching there and I'm like, okay, I'm going there. And I only stayed one semester, but I, then I learned really the, you know, how to make a perfect sheet of paper. We would have to do additions of 50 perfect sheets of paper. So I learned the science behind it. I learned, you know, technique. Mm-hmm. And and then I went on and worked in Denver for a, a paper maker who's um, mm. pretty nationally known. And I was his apprentice. And that's where I learned the casting mm. from him. And, um, you know, the rest is history. I just keep on, I just love it. Because you can do everything. I've, I've done photography with it. I've, you know, printed photos on it books, mm-hmm. you know, writing, um, the casting, I've sewn it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, pretty much anything you could think of, you yeah. can use it for. Yeah. What do you think that initial flash of uh, appreciation for it was? I guess poetically speaking, what, what was it that drew you to it away from the other media that you had been using up until that point? Um, I think it's that I like to work with my hands. I really, even as a painter, like when I'm doing the oil pastels, my hands are in it. I'm smudging and smearing and blending colors. I don't like to use paint brushes too much. or I just like to get my hands in it, whatever it is. I also have did a lot of clay when I was in college. So it was just that gooey, you know, mm-hmm. your hands are in it and you're, you're making stuff. Yeah. So yeah. that was it was that tactile thing that appealed to me initially. Yeah. And then the idea that, oh, if I want to draw on it, I can draw on it. If I want to build with it, I can build with it. If I, you know, it was just endless. Yeah. Endless what you could do. 
the idea of transformation from clothing to paper. I've always loved that, mm-hmm. loved that notion. And all these other things. Uh, in your statements talks about the recycling quality and yeah. this idea that you're constantly gathering, gathering, gathering for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some of the other things that you've gathered and made paper out of? You said bananas uh, and uh, daylilies. Or was that daylily? Yeah, daylilies. Day-lily. When I lived in Arizona, um, people, that's where I, I learned paper making. Um, just like here, you know, you, you bundle up your sticks and you put them out the end of your driveway for the trash collectors to pick up. Well, in Arizona, they, they trim down their palm trees and put out piles of, you know, palm mm. material. So I would just go by in front of people's houses, pick up a stack and bring it back, cut it up, cook it, mm. and, and it's a really nice paper. Mm. So palm trees, I can't do that anymore, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think it's kind of fun to do, like, the old doormat. It's mm. like, yeah, I can yeah, sisal, right. go ahead and use that, or, or burlap bags. Burlap makes really good paper, mm. and that's that's actually made out of jute, which is another mm. strong plant material. Mm-hmm. You can make paper out of tea bags, because that is actually, um, uh, you know what I mean, Adams? Um, abaca. Oh. So tea bags are made out of abaca, which is a, a plant fiber. Hmm. Um, another thing I did, I had found out that um, the old life jackets, which you probably can't get anymore, they were stuffed with a material called kapok, hmm. which looks like raw cotton, and you can make paper out of that. Hmm. It's tricky because it floats. So trying to get that in, you know, soaked in water took a long time. It was like... How can I weight this down <laughs> till it can become waterlogged? That that was that was hard to do, but um, I managed to do it. Uh, paper I haven't personally. I know that the Morgan Conservatory in Cleveland, they have a, a paper maker's garden on the property so that people can harvest different plants and just take them inside and make paper. I don't have time for that right now. <laughs> and there's so much material that's just available that people are throwing away or composting. Or, so I just I have no shortage. The uh, exception of the beater, which is probably an investment, what other specialized studio material do you need to do what you do? I mean, do you need like a gigantic pot to boil this stuff in, or you can you go do it to batches the store or? and just buy like a great big old spaghetti pot, okay, and a, a you know a little electric burner, mm-hmm. and you can use washing soda that you can buy in the grocery store to mm-hmm. cook it in, and that breaks it down. Mm-hmm. Some strainers, um, the molding decals you can build yourself. Pretty easily if you have any wood, you know, woodworking skills, mm-hmm. because they don't, they don't, you know, you can. There's different grades. You can have really nice ones. I mean, especially if you're going to make books and you want, sure, you want to make really nice paper for books. You're going right. to want to have a nice screen. Right. But if you're only, if all you're going to do is cast with it, you don't right. need the best. Right. Right. And I would say those are, those are the basic things. Also for paper making, as like sheets or book paper. You can make your own linters by going to the fabric store and getting um, a Pellon. Mm. It wears out a lot quicker than 
real paper maker felts, mm -hmm. but it's very affordable. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else have questions for Dawn? Yeah, I do. It, it, you, this probably sounds like a planned question, but it's not. It, it, <laughs> as I watched her develop, uh, I, I feel like I know everything, but I don't. I'm not even close. What occurred to me, I've, I've been in the plastics business uh, in, the, in the front of it, and it occurs to me that the plastic is the fibers you use in nylons and all these things for fibers all the time. Typically, they don't accept dye very well. Uh. And I'm just wondering, Don, what what is your position on using plastic? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Part of what I like about paper making is it's kind of a pure, it's organic and it's pure and you can make paper that'll last, it'll outlive you, you know, if it's, if it has no acid in it and you've, you've either, you know, cooked your plant fibers properly or you've used 100% cotton. Those, the, whatever you make is going to last for like 200 years. You can find sheets of paper that, have, you know, that were made over 200 years ago that are still in existence. Um, plastic, uh, I don't know. It's, I don't think it's that stable. But I think plastic starts to break down after a number of years. And if you're trying to make your art and you, and you care about it lasting and sticking around, I don't, I don't think I'd want to use it. And, and yeah, it doesn't accept paint, it doesn't accept dye. I don't know how, how easily you could write on it. I guess it's just not, to me it's just, uh, I don't want to work with it. There's a recycling possibility there though, right? To shred plastic and do something with it? Yeah, it, it's just, it's, plastic is really very slippery. Uh -huh. And fiber, it seems to me, it needs the, the, the microscopic uh, little fingers, if you will, yeah. intertwine and, and make it uh, make it hook together. I think it'd be a real a real problem trying to use the, the manufactured yeah. fibers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the um, like the furniture. There's a lot of recycled plastic furniture these days. It must be oh, doing yeah, something yeah. that the way, right? Is very recycled. Right? Yeah. yeah. Huh. Well, I feel like in the um, world there's That somehow, and I do not know mm. any of the chemical reasons for how that's so, but it's a soft fiber that allows you to impress on it in a pretty reliable way. Um, and I've only seen it demonstrated, and I don't know any of the chemical reactions to it or how they have achieved that goal. We're all we're all way. pushing you towards plastic here. <laughs> no. huh. well, it, it occurred to me earlier. Don Don has made several moves in, in her uh, development here. At one of them, it seems to me like we carried about four tons of, of buckets of um, that was material. Clay. Yes, I had 300 pounds of clay that we moved. Oh, clay! I thought, okay. I thought, could that possibly be fiber? And if so, does it actually last long enough that you would carry it around in a bucket? So, no. 
Well, probably not. One of your moves, you couldn't take paper pulp, so you made sheets of paper, and then you reconstitute it when she's ready to, to, to create. Yeah, yeah that right. was when I was leaving graduate school, and I knew I wouldn't have access to a beater for quite a while because I wouldn't be able to afford one. Mm -hmm. So I beat lots and lots of batches of pulp, and then I just loosely poured it onto a, uh, a frame with some just some window screening and let it dry. So I had these big chunks of pulp, and then I could reconstitute it in my blender. Hmm. So that kind of held me over hmm. for Made a while. Smaller, smaller objects with the blender full of pulp. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. When was the transition between blender and, I mean, I know that you had worked with a beater previously, but for your own personal, like when you started doing larger pieces, was the beater paramount in that, or were you doing a lot of blended work early on in your career, and then made it the beater at some point in time? Well, my early experiments were with a blender, but you know, when you when you're starting with the blender, like you, there's not much you can use because it just gets you know, tangled up in your your blender blades so it works good for recycling paper or recycling pulp that you've already beaten but um, you can't really start with the blender even um, even corn husks are just too tangly too much um, for it, yeah. so yeah I mean I, I made enough pulp to sustain myself for several years when I was you know in graduate school and then and just reconstituted it I mean, you could you can do a lot with a little bit of pulp, and then um, I don't know. I've had the beater for fifteen years probably now. Talk about uh, things you've discovered about materials that you've tried to put in paper. I know you've I've heard you say that wool doesn't make good paper, and that you can't use uh, a fabric that has lycra in it. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, I, I had some pants that the label said they were 100% cotton and there was some lycra in it. And it just, it was so weird. It just started foaming up and it was the strangest stuff. And then I tried to make sheets of paper out of it and you could just pull it apart. It was very weird what a little bit of, um, you know, maybe it was spandex, I don't know. To make jeans stretchy, they <laughs> put this stuff in there. It was, it was awful. Yeah, yeah, this is... <laughs> but then and wool wool is is an animal product so it's not compatible and the it's a different kind of fiber you you can make felt out of wool but you can't make and and it's weird though because there are some paper making processes that are done like making felt where you're actually rolling paper fibers i'm gonna ask you that, is that uh jungshi jungshi and I was going to ask you because when you were talking about pushing the paper pulp into these, you were the fibers were bonding, and I, so I'm thinking, oh, felting when you're felting wool, there's a little tool that you're basically just pricking through mm -hmm. the fiber, the fibers that you lay down, and that little, it's kind of like a barbed um, tool, and when you when you're poking in and out, you are making those fibers attached to each other. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the same thing with your fingers are doing the. Mm -hmm. Felting or the bonding. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, had you done or tried any of the Junchi, which is. I haven't. I'm interested. More in like felting than 
you know, at some point I'll do it, but I haven't tried it yet. It's hard to do. I tried it once, but it's very um, finicky. Oh. It's thin layers of paper, and you, you fold it almost like accordion into smaller pieces, and then you open it up, and then you have to massage it, and it's it's really oh. it's a delicate thing, but I think the end results are, are really organic because you can make holes in the paper, hmm. almost like you're painting with yeah I've seen I've seen work and I think it's beautiful I just haven't tried that yet so say the word again it's Asian Korean Korean process yeah so you try to beat wool and it doesn't doesn't break down. Well, I never, I've never, I knew that you could. You knew it wasn't going to But go. you can use it as a, they call it inclusions. Mm -hmm. So if you could put it in your paper and have just a little bit of it mm -hmm. to get where you, because it's not going to break down so you can see it. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times with bookmaking, you want to have just something a little more interesting in your paper. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can put like, a lot of times when people are beginning, they'll put glitter in, which is a disaster because you'll have glitter on everything for the rest of your life. <laughs> it just filters out, it flakes off. Everybody tries the yeah, glitter. Yeah, everybody tries that once. <laughs> yeah. But you can put flower petals in, and it usually looks really beautiful for the first few weeks, and then they start to get brown, and it looks terrible. Um, you can, um, I, one thing that's really fun, I've, I did a whole series of art where I put grass seeds in my paper and then I dried it very quickly so they didn't germinate. And then um, this was back when I was doing the life jackets. I was taking the life, I like the whole cir circular idea of things. Yeah. So I took the life jackets, took the K-Pak, made paper out of it, dyed it orange, put grass seeds in it, dried it, sewed them into new life jackets mm. and filled them with K-Pak and then watered them mm. like, during a, an exhibition so that while the exhibition was going on, the life jacket was growing. Mm. So that comes, that's the idea of the play on words again. Mm -hmm. It's a life jacket, so right. it's living. Right. And I had a whole series of pieces that were based on that whole concept mm. of really a cool. living life jacket. That's so, really cool, yeah. It's yeah. finding these um, moments of meaning or poetry in these surprising ways. And it's just really about working in the studio to find that. I mean, you just have to mm -hmm. get the material and then explore the possibilities. And I imagine you stumble upon that. Or yeah. you're probably working with a life jacket. You're like, yeah, life jacket. <laughs> you know, right? I mean, you couldn't have foreseen that whole project, right? Well, once I knew that K-pop would make paper and life jackets are made out of paper, then wow. the whole whole series of ideas just that's wild. took off. So the exterior, the orange, that's cotton too? That's a cotton exterior on the life jacket? That's cotton. Huh. And the interior is K-pop. Okay. So the, yeah, the, the cotton old, will old get, life jackets were cotton, sure. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, not nylon like they are now. Yeah. Yeah, they probably didn't keep people afloat for very long. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Because the cotton gets... Yeah, yeah, because the cotton gets waterlogged very quickly. Over time, yeah. And then, you know, eventually that K-pop's going to take on water. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks a lot, Don. We really appreciate you coming and talking about your work, and let's give her a round of applause.
Q&A recorded in the Cadage Gallery at St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa. The Cadage and Morrissey Galleries are located in the Galvin Fine Arts and Communications Center at 2101 North Gain Street between Locust and Lombard. All content of this podcast is the exclusive property of St. Ambrose University, copyright 2017, and may not be utilized without expressed written permission.